I believe God can step into a person's life anytime, anywhere, on any occasion. And it doesn't matter where you are. God will never make you backtrack to get to Him. He will bring you to Him the shortest distance possible. Amen. And uh, so we started this <clears throat> several weeks ago. Our first lesson had to do with realize. Our first principle was realize that I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. It's a first step to dreaming when you're broken, is to realize that you're not God and your life is not manageable by yourself. The second Bible study we taught, and that night the Holy Ghost exploded here, and a lot of you will remember it. We talked about hope. The principle number two is to earnestly believe that God exists and that you matter to Him. And I believe that. I believe every person in this building matters to God. He didn't die for everybody except you. He, he doesn't offer to every, repentance to everybody except you. He doesn't offer forgiveness to everybody except you. Everybody here tonight is equal at the foot of the cross. And you can have hope in that. Uh, the third Bible study that we taught a couple of Wednesday nights ago was to consciously decide to commit all my life and all my will to Christ's care and to His control. Uh, there was something posted uh, that, that illustrates this point on our church Facebook page. You can reach that through our church app. If you've not yet downloaded our church app, you can go to the iTunes store and just type in Grace Church of Central. It'll pop up the little green square with the white dove in it, and you can download our church app. There's a lot of things you can do with that church app, too, and it's pretty cool. Uh, but uh, it's to serving Jesus and becoming a disciple of Christ is not to make all the focus come to you. But serving Him and becoming a disciple of Christ puts all the focus on Him. You lay stuff and you take up His cross and follow Him. And the focus is on Him. And as long as it stays that way, seek ye first the kingdom. Then all these things will be added. The blessings will begin to flow into your life. Tonight I want to speak to you very honestly, very objectively. Our fourth principle that we will talk about tonight is to be open. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they, the pure in heart, pure in heart, they will see the Lord. So our principle tonight for you to entertain is to openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone that I trust. I'm going to conclude with that last point tonight. To be open. There's nothing more aggravating than a hypocrite except a liar. There's no point in pretending to be something you're not. And what's even worse is when you lie about it. Uh, trying to play some kind of a mind game with God is not going to work. He is a discerner of the intents of the heart. He knows what you're thinking. Uh, you're not going to hide anything from Him. The psalmist said in Psalm 32 and verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression 
is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And that would be, of course, a blood covering covered by the blood of Christ, spiritually speaking. So we've been looking at how to handle hurts. We've been talking about how to handle habits, hang-ups, these things that are such a distraction in our lives, even after we become a Christian. We've been talking about that. So, the, so to rehearse just again briefly, we have to realize that I'm not God, and I can't control my own life by myself without His help. That's the reality step. And then to earnestly believe that God exists and has power to help me is the hope step. And then to consciously decide to commit my life to His control is the commitment step. Tonight is to be open, to examine, and to confess my faults to myself and to God. And that is the house cleaning step. It's a purifying step. This step has to do with cleaning up the past, letting go of guilt, and gaining a clear conscience and learning to live guilt-free from this moment on. And I know for some that may be a little bit of a mountain to climb, but I say it's doable. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. So why this is a part of, why is this a part of, of being able to come to God and to start dreaming again and what have you is because guilt keeps us stuck in the past, keeps us from growing, and keeps us from becoming all that God wants us to be. So if you're going to learn how to really enjoy life, you're going to have to learn how to let go of guilt. Somebody said one time about being stuck in the past, they said that you're really not stuck, you're just positioned. You've been positioned for God to do something mighty in your life, and I believe that, and everybody say amen. But would you agree with me tonight that none of us is faultless? Andre Crouch wrote a song and said, He looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. And I believe that. Somebody thought he wrote, He looked beyond my socks and saw my knees. But that's not what he said. We've all sinned, we've all made mistakes, so we all have regrets, and we all should have some degree of remorse. We all sometimes wish we could go back, turn back the clock, and do things differently. So we feel guilty about things, and we carry things around with us, and sometimes we do it consciously, and sometimes we do it unconsciously. We don't even realize we're doing it. The Bible said, the writer of Hebrews said, to lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us in guilt and faults and failures as some of those weights that we repent of all the time and we feel guilty about all the time. I remind you again, I said it Sunday, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to understand that, wrap our head around that. We've all made mistakes, and we've all, we all have our faults, and some of them are public, most of them are private, and with to God that nobody ever finds out. But God knows. But God don't judge. He brings us through kindness, through His kindness, through His love. As the praise team sang Sunday, He brings us to repentance through His kindness. We need to understand that. There's a lot of ways we react in life 
uh, that are caused by unconscious guilt and things that we feel bad about and we may even not be aware of. You may deny or even try to repress guilt. You may excuse or rationalize the guilt. You may even blame other people for your guilt. But you still feel the effects of it. And that's what I'm here to address tonight. Nobody can go back and change anything. But we can determine our own course of action as to how we're going to think of it, how we're going to handle it, and what we're going to do about it. Everybody say it, amen. So if you're really going to recover from the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups in your life, you've got to learn how to let go of the guilt and to live with a clear conscience. A clear conscience. Psychologists tell us that we can't get rid of our guilt, that we just have to learn to live with it. So because of that, people learn to rationalize their guilt. They say, when I rationalize my mistakes and sins, my mind says it's okay, while my heart says it's wrong. And somehow the heart always wins, and the heart don't always keep quiet. I want to stop just for a moment in passing, and I touch on this periodically, especially on Wednesday night. But growing up in life, life can be cruel. Life can have no mercy sometimes. Life can be so unfair. And there's people here tonight that have experienced things in life you should have never experienced, especially as a child coming in the form of all kinds of abuse. And, and uh, whoever the perpetrator was, whoever the, the person was that did all of these things, whoever you want to point a finger back and say, they did this to me. We can never go back and change those things. But I know a God tonight that can make a man brand new. The Bible said when you're born again, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. And we need to get our head around that and put our faith and confidence in a new birth experience. Jesus gives you the opportunity to be born again. Hallelujah. Yes, He does. You can literally start over. So the good news is, is that the Bible tells us how to do what psychology tells us we can't do. And that is to get our heart to accept the kindness of God, the cleansing of God, the washing of God, so that the guilt of the things that's happened in our past can ultimately go away. Where I am talking tonight potentially to people who may not have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost or people that have not yet been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sin. A lot of this would be applicable, but it's also applicable to a lot of us that have. Because what happened in that watery grave when we were baptized in Jesus' name still lingers on the inside of us. What Jesus washed away, we keep it lingering and hanging around with us. The Bible said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and this is oftentimes why revelation doesn't come to us. This is oftentimes why greater understanding doesn't come to us. This is oftentimes why we can't accept the answers to prayer. The Bible said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
there has to be an element of purity. Not only that God knows we're pure, but that we know we're pure. It has to be in our head. It's that spirit of infirmity I preach Sunday morning. We have to understand that. We get things lodged in our head, and we pray and pray and pray, and things don't come into our lives like we want them to, and it doesn't seem like God is even answering of our prayers and there's no blessings and things just don't happen like they're supposed to. It could be because God has forgiven us and in the mind of God and in the heart of God we're pure and cleansed and free from sin but we've never accepted that. The psalmist said in Psalm 32 verse 1 again Blessed is he, blessed is he Blessed is he whose sin or transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You have to accept it. You have to receive it. It's receiving a gift from somebody. If somebody offers you a substantial gift, a gift of prize, of value, and you say, but I can't accept it. I've said that to people before. They've offered a gift, and I said, I just can't accept it. You shouldn't be giving me something like that. I'm not worthy of that. I'm not of that place of honor. Don't give me that. I'm not worthy of it. And it grieves the heart of people. That's why the Bible said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You pour things out on people. But we have to be the recipient of the good things of God. And I'm here to preach to somebody tonight, and maybe I can pick up a little bit off of last Sunday morning. But whatever it is that we're carrying around on the inside of us, whatever it is that we struggle with and fight with, and we say that this happened to me and it's been, a, it's been an albatross hanging around my neck. It's been a weight on my shoulders. I'm here to tell you tonight, and this isn't my first rodeo, and I've been in this for years. I've seen God on numerous occasions step into the lives of people and not only deliver them from physical habits, but mindsets and thought processes and things that's happened in their past and take it all away and say, hey, you know what? You're a new creature as far as I'm concerned. You're made in my image now. You've got a pure heart, and I'm going to let you see a little of me today. Praise God. So before we look at how we take this step, let's look at why we take it. Why do you have to take this step? Because when we understand the why, we have to do this. Why we must take this step to get rid of guilt and have a pure heart towards God. The how is a whole lot easier. What does guilt do to a person? What does guilt do to you? What, what, there's people here tonight that... You're, you manifest what I'm about to say. You live it. You live it every day. You may not know it. I hope you know it as of tonight. But let me tell you what living with a guilty heart and a guilty mind does to you. First of all, this guilt destroys your confidence. You cannot be a confident person if you have guilt in your life. It makes you feel insecure because you're always worried. What if somebody finds out about the truth, or somebody finds out the truth about me? And if they find out the truth about me, then they're probably not going to like me. As a matter of fact, if people find out the real truth about me, and my friends will continue to, they they won't like me anymore, they'll reject me. And I just can't admit, I just can't be open, I can't be 
open what we don't understand. It's certainly God knows everything. You're not going to hide anything from God. But you'd be surprised how many times it's happened that people have just decided to open up with their friends, to open up with their family and say, hey, this is wrong. This, I did this and, and I'm guilty of this or whatever. And friend, friends and families, more often than not, will wrap their arms around them and say, it's okay, we love you anyway. We come up with all these preconceived ideas. Uh, Sister Murphy and I spent a while with some folks here recently that lives in this very place right here. That said, if I do this and if I do that, people are not going to accept me. They're not going to like me. I said, how do you know that? They said, well, it's just an assumption that I've made about people. Some people in particular, and I said, I disagree. I totally disagree. I've been around some of these people that you named, and they're not like that at all. Oh, but Brother Murphy, you don't understand. I do understand. People are more merciful than you can ever imagine, especially at this church. And if you're not, I want to see you after church and ask you why you're not. But I'm here to tell somebody tonight, it doesn't matter what's happened in the past and what you've done. I know a God that is faithful and just to forgive anybody and everybody that will ask Him. And you'll be surprised. Your family will forgive you. Your church family will forgive you. You'll be surprised at how people are out there arms around you and say, I love you anyway. Destroys your confidence. Many years ago, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, writer of Sherlock Holmes, the Sherlock Holmes novels, played a prank on five very prominent men in England. He sent an anonymous note to each of them which simply said, now this is a pretty cruel and harsh prank, but he sent an anonymous note that said, all is found out, flee at once. That's all it said. Sent it to five very prominent men in England. All is found out, flee at once. It was a joke. I really don't think it's really that funny, but... (laughs) Apparently, the writer of Sherlock Holmes had a very demented sense of humor. (laughs) Within 24 hours, all five men had left the country. (laughs) They didn't just move out of town, man. They they evacuated the whole country. (laughs) Well, then somebody has to write another anonymous note and says, I'm just kidding, y'all come back. (laughs) I don't know what happened after that. But guilt robs you of confidence. It's like a cloud hanging over your head. And you're thinking, I just can't get on with my life because I'm afraid somebody is going to find out that skeleton in my closet, that deep, dark secret that no one else knows about. Guilt carries a heavy weight, and it robs you of your confidence. Everybody say amen. People can feel guilty over a divorce, especially around their children. Uh, children can feel guilty about doing things that they knew their parents approve of and they never want to come clean. And It's on and on. You can, you can take that and just go in a number of different directions with it. But it can be a very detrimental thing to a person, especially when you're in pursuit of God and you misunderstand and you miscalculate the measure of God's mercy and kindness and you miscalculate and mismeasure the mercy and kindness of God's people. 
I know somebody, and I want to be very careful and delicate here, but uh, somebody that, a very good friend, good, good friend, was caught in a public arena of just a very tragic, tragic transgression. And uh, the person wanted to leave the area, much like the men in England, I'm out of here. And uh, every door he tried to, to, to evacuate the area never would work out. Finally, he just prayed and sobbed and prayed and sobbed, prayed and sobbed. And uh, said, God just spoke to him as plain as day. You're not going anywhere. I want to show you my mercy. And I want to show you the mercy of my people. That happened, I don't know how many years ago. It's been a long, long time ago. And that person's still here, still living for God, loved treated kindly, what have you, trying to be very, very careful, but still lives with a measure of guilt over things that's happened in the past. But I can tell you that God has far more done his part, and God's people has far more done their part. The second thing and, and the second negative thing that, to do with, a, with guilt is guilt not only destroys your self-confidence, but it damages your relationships with people. Guilt causes you to respond to people in the wrong way. You can't be you. As I've said many times, if you're not you, nobody's going to be you for you. And when you can't be you, then the world is missing an important component. God's kingdom is missing an important part of, its, uh, of what it means and what it represents and so on. So guilt damages your relationships uh, all the way around. It causes you to respond to people in wrong ways. Guilt can cause you to be impatient with other people. Huh. Maybe that's my problem. I don't know if it applies to people, though, when you're driving. I think it's a different level of relationship. <clears throat> but it does cause you to be impatient with people. Guilt can cause you to overreact in anger. A temper issue. You live so on, on edge, if you will. You, you have such a sharp fuse. Guilt can cause you to overreact much and, 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 and more anger that's necessary. Anger can cause you to indulge people. Anger can cause you to avoid commitment in relationships. It's possible to have some form of a relationship but not be as committed to that relationship as you should be. One of the major reasons I won't let people get close to me, people say, is because of guilt. One of the biggest reasons people keep others at an arm's length is they're guilty about something. I'm afraid if I let you into my space, you're going to find out things about me. It makes people respond in ways that sometimes... You can't understand. And I've heard that said. You know, I've, I've heard church people especially say, you know, Pastor, I've tried and tried and tried to have a relationship with so-and-so, and they just, they won't let me in. I'm just being a friend. I like to just have a cup of coffee. Oh, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm fine, you know. I'd like to swing by and give you a new Mercedes Benz. No, I'm all right, man. You know, it, I don't need any of that. It's guilt. They don't want people close to them. And that's what guilt does. It hurts you in your relationship. A lot of marital problems today are caused by things that have happened prior to the marriage that a spouse still feels guilty about. That's why we try our dead level best with our uh, student ministry here.
to especially teach our young people the importance of keeping yourself pure till you marry. Let me illustrate very carefully. I know we have children in the house. But when you've been there, when you know that the person you've married has been intimate with someone before marriage, and you're being intimate with them, you don't know what they're thinking. Are they thinking about that other person or you? And it just muddles up things. You need to just stay pure until you get married. It's just the best thing to do. But when that happens, people feel guilty about it. As a matter of fact, you have a, a far better chance of your marriage surviving a, last time, a lifetime if you are pure when you get married than if you're not. Uh, statistics has borne that out. Guilt is damaging. The third thing guilt does is it keeps me stuck in the past. Living in the past is always like looking in the rearview mirror. You're, you're going to end up crashing if you do that. You can't see where you're going, and people that are guilty, that live with guilt, crash into things all the time. They have rocky relationships. They can't have a good, healthy relationship with God because they're guilty, and they can't let it go, whatever it was. And guilt tends to replay in your mind over and over the things you wish you could change, but you're never going to change, and you can't change them. Guilt cannot change the past, just like worry cannot change the future. Guilt, I think I have a slide for that. Guilt cannot change the past, just like worry cannot change the future. So, feeling guilty over the past and worrying over the future makes today a pretty miserable place to live. Look at your neighbor and say, the man's right. Even if you disagree, go ahead and say it. On top of that, guilt can make you sick. Physically sick. According to one report, psychiatrists say that 70% of the people in the hospital could leave today if they knew how to resolve guilt. 70%. So I was talking about Sunday. Spirit of infirmity. There's nothing wrong with people physically. Your body, your physical body, does not have the ability to endure what the mind can impose on it. It's worse than hard labor in prison. Your mind can be worse on you than Angola. It can. And the New Testament deals with the mind. Let this mind be in you that was in. So on top of that, Well, suffice it to say that guilt will keep you stuck in the past. Try not to be too repetitive here. So when I swallow my guilt, my stomach keeps score. And I, if I don't talk about it with God, if I don't take my guilt to God, then I'll take it out on myself or I'll take it out on others. Listen to what the wise man said in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Is this making sense to anybody? Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. He that overcometh his sins, excuse me, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. That's not Brother Murphy, that's not a psychiatrist, that's the Bible. If you cover your sins, you'll not prosper. So how do I come clean? Number one, you take personal, moral, inventory. How do I do that? 
You get alone by yourself with a pen and a notepad and ask yourself, what have I felt guilty or remorseful about? And you write that down. What are the faults in my life that I know need changing? And you write that down. Write it down. You got any guts? Excuse the crude expression, but if you got some guts, you can do this. If you're an Oscar Mayer weenie, you'll be a chicken. These kids, we call each other a chicken liver. That's worse than a chicken. It's a liver. A chicken liver. Do we need to sing our song? We had our kids in here. Oh, I wish I was a Pentecostal wiener. And that's how we live. Get alone with yourself and write down what have I felt guilty or remorseful about. What are the faults in my life that I know need changing? The Bible said in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 40, Let us search and try our ways. Let us do it. You do it. And then turn again to the Lord. You ask God to bring even subconscious hurts or hang-ups to your mind. This is a follow-up from Sunday. In Psalm 139, verse 23, the psalmist said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Guilt. You can get rid of it. There is a way to be free of it. And I'm giving you that process. Get alone with yourself and start writing some things down. And, when you, and this is biblical, by the way. When you take this personal moral inventory, take your time. And by the way, it doesn't work unless you're brutally honest with yourself. This is a good regular discipline that can keep you growing and in tune with God's purpose in your life. And why in writing? Because it forces you to be specific. Thoughts distangle themselves when they pass through the lips and or disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and when they pass through fingertips. Most of us are kind of ADD in our thoughts. And I say that in all due respect. It's hard to just focus for an hour on the exact same thing without something else shooting through your head. I mean, you have to be like 98% statue to do that. Just, Just think on a thing for 30 minutes without anything else coming through your brain. If you can do that, you're a disciplined individual. And if I asked for a show of hands, there'd be at least one here tonight that says you can do that. I'm not going to ask a show of hands. You raise your hand, I wouldn't believe you. <clears throat> so why write it down? Because it forces you to be specific. Thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through lips and the fingertips. It's important that we do that. Put it in writing. And even sometimes then, it'll still be pretty vague. But notice, you can write down the person. Who is the object of my resentment or fear? Who is that person or what is that thing that's causing me this guilt problem? And then you write down the cause. What specific action did that person take to hurt me? Write it down. It's going to be very hurtful and you'll probably be looking through tears when you do it especially when it's one of your parents or even both of them or it's a sibling or it's a spouse or it's your best friend but write it down anyway who did this to me 
And what exactly did they do? Number three, you write down the effect. How did that situation affect me? How has it affected me since it's happened? Write down the damage. What damage did that action do to me? What did it do to my instincts? And then your part of that is what part of the resentment am I responsible for? And I want to say to everybody here tonight, God gave us one awesome gift. You didn't get to choose the length of your nose, the color of your hair, the color of your eyes. You men, we didn't get to choose that perfect physique that says the beach is that way. What I said about you, Sonny, forget it. <laughs> we don't get to choose that. We don't get to choose none of that. There's people here tonight, I wish you could have had some choice in those matters. I'll admit... There's folks here tonight that fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down, man. Did you you say Patrick? Patrick? Did you say Patrick? I thought I heard Patrick. I'll tell you one thing. God gave you a choice. I'll tell you where God gave you a choice. No matter what happens to you, God gave you the ability to think of it like you want to. You can. There's a sweet lady here tonight, and Sister Murphy and I love her to death. If you've not met Sister Joyce Lawrence, your life isn't complete. She is one sweetheart of a woman. But do you know she has two children in the ground tonight that died of horrible, unnecessary accidents? Two. Not one, two. Both related to vehicle accidents. One was hit by on a by riding his bicycle when not far from here, as a matter of fact. And you see her and she laughs and smiles and she raises her hands and I have seen her back there in times past just doing a little dance and what have you. You know why? It's because God gave all of us the ability to control our attitude and how we think about things that's happened to us. You can dwell on it, and you can let it kill you. Or, with the help of God, and I say this in all due respect, with the help of God and the help of family, church group, and what have you, you can move right on past, and you can recover. You can start growing again. You can be healthy again. You can smile again. None of these things, and dear God, I think about you all the time. I don't know how you do it. One Sunday when we were in Baker, She wrote a letter as though it was from her sons in heaven and wishing her a happy Mother's Day. Read it publicly. There wasn't a dry in the place but hers. I don't know how she did that. This day, I don't know how she did that. But God gave you the ability to choose your attitude and your perspective on anything that's happened in your life the power of the brain. It is. And 
I've not been through some things nearly. I, I referenced Brother Nixon here Sunday. I think about that all the time. Sister Murphy and I talk about it frequently. The man spent how long in Korea? 13 months on the front line. Brutal. Won't go any more detail than that. But the man, however long ago that's been, since the 50s, I think, has still functioned with a family, raised five kids, retired, worked a job. There was a time when it almost got the best of him, but with the help of God and an excellent wife, an awesome wife that stood by him, family, and a church group, he came through it. When Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, he didn't just mean easy things. He meant all things. One of the greatest gifts that God has given every person in this room is you get to choose on how you think about what happened to you. You can choose to be angry. You can choose to be guilty. You can choose to be revenge, get revenge. Or you can choose to forgive. The second thing that we have to do, and this is process and I'm trying to hurry, is if there are faults in your life that are your fault, then you accept the responsibility. Don't quit blaming everybody else. Quit blaming your mom and your daddy and all that. If you're a moron, you're a moron. You can't help it. I'm a moron. I can't help it. I'm being honest. But I'm, a whole lot of my stuff, I did it to me. And I admit that, and I'm, I take responsibility for that. Listen to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27 again. I'm trying to hurry now. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. God will help you go through your own life's inventory and your brain and your heart and all of that. He'll help you. The greatest holdup to healing for some of us here tonight, a lot of our God healing our hang-ups, it's us. We won't, we won't choose to think different. I've thought this way about so-and-so for 50 years. They wrecked my life. I ain't going to forget that. You don't have to forget it. But you can think differently when you think about it. It all starts with being radically honest and saying, I'm the problem here. And if you can't, change the way you think about things, then you have become the problem. We say, if I just change relationships, jobs, or locations, then everything will be fine. If you're the problem, a new spouse ain't going to help you. A new job ain't going to help you. A vacation ain't going to help you. Moving to somewhere in Michigan ain't going to help you, or Montana, wherever. I don't know anybody that's moving there. That's just random right out of my head. It's not going to help you. You're going to take all your junk with you. I've told people that over and over and over. We're going to move somewhere and get a new start. And I'm, I'm, I understand that kind of thing. I do understand it. But you need to fix your junk while you're here. Right. If you don't, you're going to take it with you. Right. If you change churches, fix your junk while you're here. And then you'll stay. <laughs> but then if you choose you can't, don't take the junk to the next church. If you're coming from another church, fix the junk there and then come here. Just changing stuff, don't fix stuff. Don't rationalize it, don't minimize it, 
and don't blame others. You may have been mostly there. It may have been mostly their fault, but what about your part? And that's what God holds you responsible for to deal with. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So for you to say, it ain't my fault, I'm perfect. Marriage counseling is awesome. That's why I never do it. It's so awesome. It's awesomely a pain in the neck. But it's funny that, and it's only one comes at a time. They're not coming together. Well, bring your spouse with you. Oh, no, I need to talk to you by myself. I know what you're coming to do. This isn't my first rodeo. I'm, I'm perfect, Brother Murphy. It's them. Okay. You may be perfect, but you're delusional in your perfection. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If I really want to stop defeating myself, then I have to, I have to stop deceiving myself. Self-responsibility for your faults. Number three, ask God for forgiveness. John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So how do you get forgiveness from God? Don't beg. You don't have to beg God for forgiveness. You don't bargain with God and say, God, I promise. God, I promise I'll give you the world. He already owns it. There's really no promises you can make to God outside of your life. He owns everything else. Don't bribe. God, I'll be the next foreign missionary to wherever. Just forgive me. You don't bribe. You don't beg. You don't bargain. You don't bribe. You just believe. It's easier to believe than beg. It's easier to believe than bargain. And it's easier to believe than bribe. The word admit is a, is a compound Greek word in the Scripture. But it, 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 it comes from a couple of different words, meaning same and meaning word. So, to admit or confess means to speak the same thing about your sin as God says about it. So, if God calls your last lie a sin, then you need to call that last lie a sin and not try to justify it. Well, God, you have to understand, I lied because. And God, I'll never lie again if, if you will do da-da-da. That's not how this works. What's that old saying? Call it like it is. I'm not going to use the illustration I was going to. But you, you, you have to be honest. You have to be honest. And with God, you might as well be. Because He knows anyway. Everybody say amen. I'm trying to hurry. So to admit and to confess means you speak the same thing about your sin as God says about it. So just give up and go ahead and agree with God when it comes to sin because He's always right anyway. The basis for forgiveness is that God is utterly reliable when it comes to forgiveness god is utterly reliable because it's his nature but it doesn't seem fair that someone else had to pay for my sin but somebody did accept that come now isaiah said in isaiah 1 come now let us reason together saith the lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be as wool and then finally, and this is where I conclude, James 5.16, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. So while you're praying for somebody else, you're getting healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God says that this step is absolutely essential to your recovery. Admit your faults to 
one another. Why can't I just admit it to God? Because, or why do I have to drag another person in this? Because the root cause of our problem is relational. And we lie to each other and we wear masks and we deny our true feelings and we play games. And as a result, we become isolated and insecure. And we say, if they really knew the truth about me, no one would like me. To most people, as I said a little while ago, you're only as sick as your secrets. And revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. And when you risk honesty, suddenly a feeling of freedom comes into your life. When you risk honesty, there's a feeling of freedom that comes into your life. And you realize that everybody has problems. And often they have the same ones you do. And you don't need more than one. But you do need at least one person in life that can, you can totally be honest with. Let me tell you what I do in counseling, depending on the nature of it, particularly marriage counseling, of people that attend church. First and foremost, I'm not a counselor. Secondly, if you go on and get a divorce, don't subpoena me to come testify against the other guy that you heard confess all kind of stuff in counseling. Had somebody did that a year or so ago, and it took some legal maneuvering to get out of it. Besides that, there's a state and law of Louisiana that protects ministers from having to divulge uh, confidential information. And I will tell you that if I am subpoenaed and I have to go and some, somebody does that, I'm going to tell both sides of the story, not just the side you won't tell. So keep that in mind. I'm not going to tell a half-truth. Anyway. But what I do in, oftentimes in counseling, and I'll tell people, that I'll go as far as I feel like I can go as far as I'm comfortable in going in counseling. And if it goes beyond what I think can help, or if you need to divulge more than I need to know. Because you have to keep coming to church here. And I'd hate for you to have marriage counseling on Friday or any kind of counseling. Walk in here Sunday morning and look at me sitting up there in that chair and saying, Dear God, I can't believe I told that man all that stuff. I have to go to another church. I don't want that to happen. So I will send you to someone that you can trust. We know some counselors and therapists around town, and you can go talk to them. You know what I've found? I've asked people if they're comfortable to share with me what happened and how they're feeling and so on. If they're comfortable in doing it, you don't have to repeat anything or say anything that was said. Just tell me how you're doing. If they're comfortable, yeah. Well, what did he or she say talking about the counselor? And they'll stop and think for a minute and say, well... They really didn't say too much. You know what made you feel so good? It's just saying it to another human being. It's amazing at how healing that is. It's that old statement, you just get it off your chest. And you say it to someone that you can trust. That's biblical. The Bible said, confess your faults one to another. But it has to be someone you trust. Now, you're not going to go to the biggest gossip in church and just pour your heart out. If you want to do that, you can go to Woody Jenkins for Central City News, and you can go to Dave Freno at Central Speaks and just go ahead and tell them. And they'll put it on the front line. That's what's going to happen anyway. Remember old brother Marvin Hicks. Anybody remember old brother Marvin Hicks, camp meeting speaker from way back? He said he told a lady in this church one time that she was a gossip. And he said, I'll go downtown, and this has been years and years and years ago in Pentecost, but I'll buy you a color television and put it in your home if you'll take your telephone out. I understand the reasoning. I'd rather her watch TV than run her mouth all week long. Make his life a whole lot easier anyway. So don't go to anybody 
that's going to broadcast it. So notice on the screen, you go to someone who you can trust that can keep a confidence. You go to someone who understands the value of what you're doing. You go to someone who is mature enough not to be shocked. You go to someone who knows the Lord well enough that they can reflect his forgiveness to you. That's the criteria of going to someone else to confess your faults. If you can't find anyone in the church, we, can, we know people in that profession that can. So you don't have to tell everybody, just tell somebody. Listen, folks, the devil works through isolation. And when you isolate yourself, it's, it's, you're vulnerable. The moment you share the secret that's been making you sick, you'll experience freedom like you've never felt before. And I've known that for years. The secret you want to conceal the most is the one you need to reveal the most so you can heal the most. And then to accept God's forgiveness, i got to quit. And accept God's forgiveness and then forgive yourself. Remember, God forgives instantly, gives freely, and he he forgives completely. And he will never remind you of it again. He will never hold it over your head again. Stand with me tonight. Thank you for your time, your patience. Kids, you were great in here tonight. Kids did a great job. I think I put some of them to sleep. Some of them may be in a coma. I don't know. But... uh,